you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep score in little league anymore. Now that's also it's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? So how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you box Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. I'm flying solo. Shane's got the day off, but we got a lot of news in the SEC. Want to finish the week strong, give you guys something before you head into that weekend. I don't have a funny clip to start the show with, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> hey, we got a lot of topics to hit on around the league, so let's just jump right into it. Let's go around the league. Now let's go now around, let's the go league. around the league. Um, my, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys! Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, I'm going to start here on Rocky Top. Because some news here on Thursday morning. Tennessee has made the decision to open up Saturday's practice. This is uh, leading up to the spring game, of course, which is April 24th, if I'm not mistaken. But pretty smart idea here with all Tennessee fans have seen it. I'm sure many fans around the SEC have seen it. Not necessarily a lot of good buzz around the Tennessee program. And it's uh, no fault of Josh Heupel's, but you got guys in the transfer portal not coming back. You got players suspended, including the star freshman quarterback. Now you got allegations of animal cruelty and all this. So, oh my God, all these negative storylines. And here we go. We give something, to, I don't want to say flip the script, but hey, there's something positive on Rocky Top. They're going to open this thing up. And this is, uh, you know, it's good timing too. Of course, 
the fans can come on out. It's a 10 a.m. kickoff here for the Saturday practices. I don't think it's going to be a scrimmage. They just wrapped up a scrimmage here on Thursday. But fans, you know, hoping for a good fan turnout. You're allowed to host recruits. This is the only kind of loophole you can get recruits out of practice because you're not allowed to host recruits. And it's not technically hosting any recruits if you just hold an open practice. This is something Arkansas has been very smart about, Auburn. A number of SEC programs are doing this. So good move here, I think, by Tennessee. And it makes all the sense in the world. And they got a big, interesting timing. Big recruitment coming up here. The Wade Twins. Just want to talk about that briefly just because it's such... We got an SEC battle here going on between Kentucky and Tennessee. Destin Wade, Keaton Wade. One's a four-star linebacker. The other's a three-star athlete that plays quarterback for Summit Hill. In Tennessee, being recruited heavily by both Kentucky and Tennessee. I think they visited each, they've either already visited each or they're going to visit Kentucky one more time before they make their announcement, which is next Friday. So a week from when you hear this, they'll be announcing their commitment. So Tennessee kind of desperately need to get some recruiting momentum going. You better believe they're going to want the Wade brothers there. So just something to think about there. But moving on to the action on the practice field, Tennessee just wrapped up their first spring scrimmage right before I started recording. Josh Heupel wrapped up his press conference here. So let's kick it over to Coach talking about uh, his thoughts. First scrimmage of his era there on Rocky Top. And he was also asked a really good question, which, again, may have to do with uh, these Wades. One of them does play quarterback. But what does he look for in a quarterback and I thought this was a really good answer here. Josh, I guess a quick two-parter. Who won the first scrimmage of the Josh Heupel era? And and secondly, is that something you encourage? I mean, I know there's so much installation going on, but how much do you welcome the offense and defense getting after each other? Is it kind of a way to build things up to September? You better, you better be com- competing every single day. And iron sharpens iron. Uh, we're going to go good on good and, and make sure that uh, we're pushing, challenging, and competing with our, each other every single day. That's not on the practice field. That's inside the, the strength and conditioning arena. That's who and what this program uh, is a cornerstone, is going to be a part of our foundation, is, is that competition. And having a heck of a lot of fun while we did it. Uh, who won, who lost, man. Uh, I don't have a scoreboard on, on that side of it from today. I know there were a bunch of plays that were made uh, by uh, both sides of the football with each group. There were some things that were glaring that we got to get corrected. Uh, we're learning how to, to have winning habits inside of our program. Uh, we're getting rid of a, a bunch of habits that aren't going to help us win. The thing that I love about this group is that they listen, they're attentive, and they are working to become what they're capable of. Uh, the challenge in the race against yourself to become as good as you can, as fast as you can. These guys have accepted that in a really positive way and are starting to demand it from the guy next to them inside of the locker room. That accountability has got to come from within. And uh, our group is starting to learn that and, and take ownership in it. When you're recruiting a quarterback, you know, what are the intangibles you look for? Obviously, you know, there are guys on your team that have different skill sets. So I'm sure you have to tailor it a little bit to what they do well. But, you know, is there a, is there a perfect formula in trying to find the Josh Heupel quarterback? Uh, the quarterback position, man, uh, when I got here, uh, I said it. Uh, we've had tall ones. We've had short ones. Uh, we've had fast ones. We have guys that uh, didn't run quite as fast uh, as some others. Uh, uh, moved around probably like I did back in the day. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, they're accurate. Uh, some of them have had huge arms. Some of them have just been really great with, with their timing. Uh, to me, it's about the intangibles, man. you got to be smart. 
You got to be competitive. You got to be willing to go lay it on the line every single day, 365 days out of the year. You got to be able to demand it from the guy that's next to you. Uh, those intangible things are what we're looking for uh, in, uh, in our quarterback here at Tennessee. Uh, we're going to find it, and it's going to be a guy that helps us lead us to a championship. All right, smart move here by Heupel. And just all the way around, even you know, saying it's one thing, he's, he's got to actually prove it on the field, but never want to pigeonhole yourself for what kind of player you're looking for at the game's most important position. Hell, Peyton, statuesque type quarterback. I know it was a different era. Maybe if you want to go more contemporary, Mac Jones, not very mobile. I wouldn't say he's e-mobile, but not, <laughs> certainly not going to run by many guys. He was one of the most outstanding quarterbacks in the country last year. Had guys like Lamar Jackson. You know, people thought he was nothing but a receiver. Hell, I think Will Muschamp wanted him to be a defensive back. And he goes to Louisville and wins the Heisman Trophy. So anything in between, it's on the coach to get the most out of the player. It'd be foolish of Heupel to sit here and say, I want just this type of guy. So I remember right after he got the job, I played a clip of Heupel discussing the fact that you know he's got to adapt his system to the players. And again, that's something easy to say, but you've got to go out there and do it. And far too many coaches. Why is Gus Malzahn not at Auburn? Les Miles at LSU? And on and on and on. Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. You've got to play to the strengths of your players. You've got to adapt your system. And it certainly sounds like that's what's going on on Rocky Top. And if nothing else, that's something to look forward to because I keep trying to hammer home this point. Tennessee's got a lot more talent. And a lot of people are giving them credit for. I know they're thin, but at this point, they've got the talent to at least make things interesting against a lot of SEC teams. And I think they should sweep their non-conference game. So, hey, it's not all doom and gloom on Rocky Top. Speaking of that, let's stick it in the same state here. Let's kick it all down to Nashville. Take it down. Where I got to fire off a couple questions there for Coach Clark Lee on Tuesday. And the more I hear from this guy, the more I like. I know it's going to be a process. I'm not saying Vanderbilt's going to be SEC contender anytime soon, but it's got to start somewhere. And it certainly seems to have start with Clark Lee assembling a staff. Like talks about uh, the special teams coordinator, assistant head coach, Justin Lustig here. I really wanted to ask him about the special teams. And I know, hey, maybe that's kind of like not always the most interesting to talk about special teams play, but... At Vanderbilt, I mean, my God, it's been a disaster. I mean, no offense to uh, their situation last year, but, I mean, <laughs> they, they had to bring someone from the women's soccer team just to kick extra points. You know, I mean, that it was a nightmare under Derek Mason, and you want to talk about, you know, almost the opposite of Tennessee. Vanderbilt's non-conference games looks pretty formidable. They've got Colorado State. They've got Stanford. Yes, they got ETSU in there. That should be an easy win, but that's the only one. And they've also got UConn at home. So, again, these are winnable games. Then you get into the SEC slate. Obviously, that's going to be a different story. But why I bring this up, because you got to feel like if Vanderbilt is competitive next season on the field, there's going to be a lot of tight games. You can't have busting coverage. you got to win the special teams. You gotta win the turnover battle. I know those are not sexy talk topics to talk about, but I think those are realistic goals there for the Commodores going into year one. You're just not gonna out talent people, may not X and O them. 
year one of first year head coach. So that's kind of what I wanted to ask him about special teams play. And I thought he gave a really insightful answer here. Hey coach, Michael Bratton from uh, Saturday down South. I wanted to ask you about special teams. Now I know everything that happened at Vanderbilt before you got there is nothing on you, but the special teams has been a real weakness of Vanderbilt in recent seasons. So, you know, I'm just curious to know, uh, you know, you spend an assistant, you use an assistant as a coordinator. That's not something all things coaches do, but we're starting to see more and more of that. So just kind of curious to get your thoughts on the emphasis of special teams in your program and, and how confident you are that uh, you can turn that into a strength because the way I see it, I don't know if you feel the same, but if Vanderbilt's going to win some games next year, they're probably going to be some tight games and going to need that side of the ball to be a strength instead of a weakness. Certainly, you know, one of my first hires was Justin Lustig. Um, you know, that was that was intentional. I mean, I I, I knew um, out of the gate that I wanted to try to secure the best special teams coordinator I could. And, I, and to me, that that's two, you know, there were two layers to that. Well, I guess three. One is, again, the, the personality fit within in the vision fit. You know, I wanted someone that was aligned with, you know, how we, we were going to build this program. Um, but, you know, that that role needs personality to it. I mean, that role needs to energize your team. It needs to um, build a culture within a culture. And so I, I was very interested in the style of play as I was evaluating um, for that for that position hire. Um, you know, um, I, I wanted to find someone whose units played really, really hard. And then the other the, the other side of it was just the schematic or the ability to generate plays or generate field position. You know, you wanted, you wanted to see, um, I didn't want this just to be like, you know, let me go find a, a young energetic, you know, um, coach that can build spirit in the unit. Like I wanted to have someone that had a demonstrated track record of successful special teams, you know, whether that's, you know, uh, generating blocks, explosive returns, um, or just applying pressure, snap in, snap out in teams. Um, certainly, you know, someone who has awareness of the importance of field position. So, um, yeah, I, I, Justin Lustig has been um, phenomenal in his role. And I'm so excited for him to continue to build that culture within the culture. He, he is the assistant head coach, but he, he's the head coach of the special teams units. And he does a, a tremendous job of building that identity. Um, you know, I, I don't even even going beyond what you said, I, I think, you know, for Vanderbilt, the best version of Vanderbilt football is going to be a team that understands the complementary pieces to winning, right? Like our offense needs to complement our defense, our defense needs to complement our offense, and our special teams has to create for us. Um, and I think that'll be true uh, here from day one to the finish point. And so um, having someone really that solidified that aspect of the game that could build an advantage through special teams um, and, and, and really just generate a care factor within that area that uh, can move this program forward. Because it's just, it's just an area of the, of the game where we can, we can create an advantage for ourselves. And, um, you know, we intend to do that. So I appreciate the question. It's, it's a good question and um, certainly an area of focus for us. And in the spring, a lot of it is fundamental technical work. You know, I mean, it's we're not we're not doing a lot of scouted live reps, but we're certainly getting some of that. And um, 
and so it's been it's been a good spring so far. All right, so there you have it from Coach. And again, I mean, he gives pretty detailed answers here. So I really appreciate the fact that he kind of goes on a deep dive on these questions. Some of these coaches uh, won't give you the damn time of, time of day here. But I also, if you've seen it, Vanderbilt's been putting out all these uh, you know practice videos and photos and whatnot, and they still don't have any numbers on the jerseys. And I every time I see it, and I get this question sometimes from fans, how in the hell can they evaluate film and study it and all that? So I wanted to ask Coach, are, is any regrets <laughs> removing the numbers from your players when, hell, you're just now getting to know them personally and on the field? Let's kick it over to Coach. Less serious question from me, but uh, are you at all regretting the – not putting the jerseys or the numbers on the jerseys because I'm sitting here looking at the photos you're putting out, wondering how in the hell you guys are evaluating uh, practice, <laughs> at least the film, you know? Yeah, well, you get to you get to know all the all the features of your players, the gait, <laughs> the stance, the the body type. Um, no, we we you know look, it's it's um, that that's been an important part for us, and there are inconveniences. I'm not I'm not gonna lie, but I think. Um, the ability here to to stay patient with that so that we continue to double down and look it's not we're not going to all of a sudden put jerseys on them and and then our our, our journey's done you know the, the the things that we're trying to build into this program right now are going to be things that don't just last but they actually um, you know we continue to move the needle forward and so um, yes there are inconveniences to it um, but certainly an important thing that we're doing and we're going to keep doing it until we feel like we start to see guys um, you know re really take hold of the standards that we're that we're preaching all right so good answer there yeah I even got a chuckle out of him. anytime you can get one of these coaches to laugh you know you're doing something right so I just I had to play that clip for you guys but speaking of laughing oh my god let's kick it down to Starkville well, I don't think Zach Arnett gets enough credit for the job he did managing Mississippi State's defense last season. I know there was a couple games they gave up. You know, a lot of big plays. I just went back and watched that Egg Bowl. A lot of big plays given up in the Egg Bowl. But some goal line stands, too. I mean, it was a mixed match of, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, they had, what, like a dozen players quit the damn team in the middle of the season. New players in a new system. Didn't have spring. I mean, the same excuses everybody's got. But remember this time last year, I know it's hard to think back that far, but basically Mississippi State was exactly where Ole Miss was last year, where Tennessee is now. We we're all hyping up the offense, saying they're going to have to outscore everybody. Their defense is going to be a disaster. That's what we were saying about Mississippi State going into last season, and it was the exact opposite. Aside from that monstrous performance in the opener against LSU, which by now we kind of know was more about Bo Pelini sucking and LSU not having their guys ready to play. You know, Mississippi State's offense was a disaster for much of the year, and they would not have won a damn game if not for the defense. I mean, hell, there was a game where the only point scored was a safety, and that was against Kentucky. Not exactly the best team here. They got shut out by Alabama, scored 10 against Auburn, 14 against Arkansas, 14 against Texas A&M. If not for Zach Arnett, he got some love for the Broyles Award, the nation's top assistant coach. But Mississippi State, you know, was a non-factor after the first month of the season. So I don't think he got enough credit for the job he did. Going into year two, players understand the system. You know, they lost Errol Thompson at linebacker. He's, I mean, he was a monster 
for years and years and years. But they've got some really good linemen, and they've got two emerging corners here. They lost six safeties last year, so it's going to be better safety play, you got to assume, going into year two of the Zach Arnett era. But I'm hyping them all up because after a recent practice, Zach Arnett was – man, he was heated. This was the most heated I've heard an SEC coach this season. We may have to name this the uh, Zach Arnett Award when, it, when a coach is this damn pissed off. But clearly, Mississippi State offense had the better of the defense here, and Zach Arnett – was not happy about it. Well, Coach, before we talk about today's practice, since you've had a chance to evaluate Saturday's scrimmage, what were your impressions of how the defense performed? Not very good. We're not very good defense right now. In what ways would you say they're very good? Sorry, repeat that. In which specific way? In a which specific ways would you say they are very good in the scrimmage? They are. <laughs> Well, they aren't. That's why we're not. That's why we're not very good on defense because we didn't play very good. Coach, you mentioned that defense isn't very good right now. What would you kind of attribute that to, like more uh, more specifically? That's number one. Poor coaching by us. Uh, we don't play very hard. Uh, when we do know what to do, we don't do it the way it's supposed to be done. And so, we've done a bad job coaching so far, and we've done a bad job learning. And so. We got to get a lot better, a lot better job here in these last what six practices by both coaches and players. What's it going to take for this defense to get to your standard of, of where it should be in these these last uh, six practices or so? What do you want to see out of them in order for them to kind of get better for your standard? No, it's not. It's not my standard. It's a pretty simple standard. If the offense goes up and down the field, that's bad defense. I don't care. I don't care what defensive coordinator. If an offense moves the ball and scores points, that's not good defense. So that's kind of a universal standard. The scoreboard don't lie. Uh, Coach, are there specific things that you're looking for out of your defense in the spring game, or is it just general improvement across the board? Oh, it's pretty simple. I mean, football players make plays. Don't give up yards. Don't give up points. Fly around, play the game the right way. You know, coach them better. If they're not doing the right thing, that means we've done a really, a really poor job coaching. Number one, right? Me at the top of that list. I've done a poor job. So it's not it's not the player's fault. It's our fault as coaches, but we better get it right in these last six practices because we don't give you more than 15 in spring. All right, so how about that? I mean, that was fantastic. And then one, the final question he was asked, This I think the media was scared to death to ask him anything after this one, but any freshmen sticking out? Coach, were there any freshmen that have impressed you so far? Is it still something that a lot of them are still learning? Off the top of my head, nope. Nope. <laughs> oh, man. So, back to the drawing board for Coach Arnett. I would have hate to have been a player in one of those practices. They're probably still running laps down there in Starkville from when Coach got on them after this one. But I just thought that was epic. This is Saban-esque type rant here. You know, don't read too much into all these press. I'm not saying Mississippi State's going to have a horrible defense next year. I think he's just disappointed with the, the performance he saw, and you can see why. He's such a damn good coach. They're not living up to the standard, and even him, he's putting it on himself as well. So something to think about down there, Mississippi State. Again, I've said I probably said it about 50 times. You guys are probably tired of hearing me say it, but I think everyone's really overlooking Mississippi State. I think there's a chance they surprise a lot of people. I, there's not going to be a single gimme in the SEC West next year. And that is in large part because Mississippi State, I think, is going to be a dangerous, dangerous team.
All right, let's skip it all down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where old Nick Saban met with the media here recently. And, you know, the challenges there for Coach Saban in Alabama obviously a lot different than the vast majority of programs in the country. It's not about getting the players or the coaches. I mean, hell, they got how many NFL coaches on that staff now? Two as full-time assistants. They probably got a couple head coaches tucked away as analysts down there that uh, were head coaches at one point or another in the NFL. Who knows? But they've got all the pieces. Now the challenge, and it's the challenge every year, and it's something Nick Saban talks about, the fact that uh, you know this is what drives him. It's a new team every year. You lose so many guys. Not only losing a lot of guys, but losing marquee guys. Hell, they're saying Mac Jones may be the number three pick in the draft. Who in the hell would have seen that this time last year? I don't think anybody would have even suspected he was an NFL quarterback. And that's before you get to two receivers probably going to go in the top 20. And a corner probably going to go in the top 20. And on and on and on, losing so much talent. But don't feel bad for Alabama. Just signed the most epic recruiting class of all time. They've got the talent to keep this thing rolling. But it's very interesting what we've heard from him this spring. You know, he's been pretty high on Bryce Young, but he's called out the receivers. Maybe not having a caliber receiver that he's had in recent years. Maybe not having the speed at the receiver position he's like. The offensive line, he said they're swimming a little bit there. It seems like he's, I don't want to say calling guys out, but I think he's really challenging them. Because, again, they have all the pieces. They just got to fit it together. Got to get them up to speed. And that's something that he opened with here. Challenging his players not to do what's good for them. To do what's good for the rest of the team. That's, you know, part of the saving magic. He can do that better than just about anybody. One of the things that we want to see is, you know, individual players improve. uh, Improve their ability to play winning football fundamentals. Uh, but I also think we're trying to develop some team dynamics, some team chemistry, uh, looking for people who put team first, um, guys that understand that you know what you did last year really is not going to create any value for what you do this year or help you play better this year, but um, it's going to base, be based on uh, what you do to create um, positive outcome for yourself this year by p- paying attention to detail. Uh, doing little things right, playing with discipline, um, holding uh, each other accountable to the standard uh, that they all know that we expect from them uh, day in and day out, being positive, not being negative, um, set a good example for each other. And, you know, they have great examples on this team of, you know, some of the things um, that we had on last year's team, which was all about intangibles. It was all about leadership. It all it was all about holding people accountable. So, all right, so there you have it from Coach. And again, I think this is a clear message, man, to all those five stars coming in there that have either just got there or maybe guys like Bryce Young that have not yet proven it, but we all know likely have the talent to star at the SEC level. But it can't be about them. It's got to be about the team. And that's what we've seen from Alabama in recent years. That's why guys like Najee Harris come back to school win a championship. Hell, he could have been already in the NFL, and he passed that opportunity up. Mac Jones could have left a long time ago, tired of waiting for Tua and Jalen and all these guys to go to the NFL, but they don't do it. Hell, even Jalen Hurts, when you know he lost his starting position, he could have easily left. He didn't do it. So Nick Saban, it seems like they're searching for those leaders now. they got a lot of time to get there, but it's interesting 
that uh, this, to me, seems like a direct challenge to the players on the roster to kind of, you know, a select few probably to try to become those next guys. They're still searching for them down there in Alabama. And maybe as long as they haven't found them, the rest of the SEC's got a fight and hope here. And one other thing I wanted to hit on here with uh, Coach Saban I thought was pretty interesting because, you know, sometimes I think we do get lost in, well, they got this many five stars, this many four stars, this many All-Americans, yada, yada, yada. They got a lot of guys like Mac Jones, like a Jalen Moody, like a Josh Jacobs. They didn't come in with any hype. And these guys have to develop. They have to earn their way. And it's easy to just throw five stars out there and let them do their thing and dominate college football. And But it's a lot harder to develop these three-star players into starters for a program like Alabama who just stacking talent on top of talent. So they do a really good job of uh, developing the, all the guys they have, not just the elite players. And that's something that Saban hit on here when asked about Jalen Moody and he kind of hit on Mac Jones a little bit too. Jalen Moody, I know he was uh, a late addition to that signing class. What do you remember about him and the recruitment process? And uh, what stood, about, stood out about him uh, when you were pursuing him? Well, you know, Jalen Moody was a guy that we had on the radar screen that initially we didn't recruit. We liked, um, and we had a need at linebacker, and we really liked some of the things that he did. And we actually took him late, and he has been, you know, a very positive uh, guy on our team. He's been a core player on special teams. Uh, he's got a great attitude. He plays with a lot of energy. Uh, now he has an opportunity to start, and he's certainly taken advantage of that. So. Um, you know, we're, we're happy that he's here and he's doing a really good job for us. When you look at the success of Mac Jones and, and, and Jalen Moody, um, how much does that help with when guys like that succeed after kind of waiting a little bit? How much does that help when you're talking to a younger player about trust in the process? Well, I, I don't really talk to players that much about trust in the process. I talk to the players about the importance of focusing on development. Um, you might see that as a similar thing or maybe even the same. Uh, but I think everybody needs to have the ability to self-assess, to figure out, okay, here's where I'm at. That's the only way you can improve if you can self-assess. And then you kind of help the coaches help def you define what you need to do to actually improve uh, so that you can become a better player. Uh, we want everybody to play early. Uh, that's our goal. Uh, we played a lot of freshmen here. We've had a lot of freshmen start for us and uh, play very well. But at the same time, we have a responsibility and obligation not to put a guy out there uh, when he's not ready to go play with confidence, be confident in what he's doing so he can go play, play fast and create value for himself. So we want players to focus on development, not outcomes. Outcomes can be distractions. Uh, so we want, we want them to focus on what they need to do to get the outcome. And their ability to self-assess um, you know, helps their uh, learning curve, I think. What can't they do down there in Alabama? You know what? Hell, even the three-star players are – turning into quality players down there in Tuscaloosa. All right, jumping down next, let's uh, kick it all day to Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. Well, of course, they've got an epic quarterback competition going on down there. Now, now it sounds like they got four guys. We, had, we knew it would be TJ Finley, Max Johnson, Miles Brennan, but now Garrett Nussmeyer keeps getting more and more hype. Is it the LSU true freshman? Realistically, Garrett Nussmeyer, I mean, it's hard to see him starting but hell maybe he plays this year Ed Orgeron said a couple of times he thinks that's certainly a possibility Miles Brennan maybe he can't stay healthy maybe one of the other guys transfers out I don't know it could clear a path 
for a guy like Garrett Nussmeyer, if he's as good as Coach O says he is, to get on the field. But, uh, you know, based on what's going on there at camp, you know, one day I hear Max Johnson, next day I hear Miles Brennan. The latest uh, Coach O's talking up Miles Brennan here. Uh, let's kick it over to Coach talking about this uh, heated quarterback competition. When you get the spring game, how are you gonna how are you gonna mix this up with quarterback situation when yeah. the guys haven't really separated themselves at all? Yeah, you know we we haven't talked about it yet, but Garland, we're gonna give them all a fair shot. We, we said we're gonna give them all a fair shot throughout the spring, and part of the camp. There there'll be a time when at camp will come time where you know two guys gonna have to get the reps, and we have to make that decision. But we're not close to making that decision now. Not even it, it's, there's a lot of reps to go. And all four of them are doing well. I thought Miles had a great day last Thursday, but you know what? It changes every day. You know, those guys are, are, are battling, and I'm very proud of them. Do you think having not named a quarterback a starter in the spring fall, does that late raise the level of the room where <laughs> no one knows that they're uneasy every single day because they don't get yeah. because they know yeah. they're the starter? Yeah, I hope they're not uneasy. I hope they're just very competitive. But I, I guess it causes some nervousness, and they know everything's on the line, every practice, and everybody's watching. But I think that's the only fair way to do it. All right, so it sounds like they're a long way off from naming a starter. Well, they got a lot of time to, to do that. There's no need to rush it. So just let this thing play out. Probably going to go all the way up to uh, you know, the season opener against UCLA. I would I would think, unless one of these guys just completely separates, and I don't think this is a quarterback rumor that's going to happen because, man, I've seen enough from three of these guys to know they can all play, including T.J. Finley. I thought there was moments T.J. Finley looked like the future of that position. Now, there was times he didn't, obviously, but new system. Maybe it fits him better. Maybe the protection gets better and on and on and on. I mean, who knows? So this thing's likely a long ways away, but it was interesting. Old Garrett Nussmeyer, I told you they were hyping this kid up. Apparently, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody was comparing him to uh, Joe Burrow a little bit in terms of leadership and all this, and Coach O's pumping the brakes on that one. Um, it was around this time last year that Garrett Nussmeyer told me that he thought that he brought a Joe Burrow-like mentality to the table. Um, have you seen any of that, and do you see any comparisons between the two even uh, this early on? Yeah, I, I don't want to put that on him yet, okay, because uh, Joe was very special. and But I do see some uh, similarities that Garrett has as far as leadership, as far as uh, the competitive the ability to make plays. I think he's only going to get better here. I think he's going to be a great quarterback here. And um, I'm very pleased with him. When you when you have eight good defensive linemen yeah. and you play them all, when you have three or four really good quarterbacks, that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, as a coach, how do you manage that room? Or is that yeah. just the tough thing to do? You know, Jake's doing a great job. I was I was honest with him at first. I said, "Look, Max is going to take the first snap. Everything's competitive. We're great in everything. We're going to rotate y'all. We're going to give you equal reps." And so far, we've done that. And I think the guys, all four of them, will tell you we've been very fair. Jake's been very fair with them. And it's not time to name a starter now. In camp, there'll come a time in camp where it's going to get a little tight, and somebody's probably going to be unhappy. That's just the way it is. That's the quarterback position. But uh, this is, you know, I'm not saying this is the best quarterback. Cause, you know, I don't know if we're going to have a Joe Burrow again. I hope we do. And uh, I think that he's the best quarterback that I've ever been with. But it's the best quarterback room. I mean, from top to bottom, we have four four guys that are pretty good quarterbacks, and they're all competing. All right. 
We got to stop doing this. Every time there's a promising quarterback, is he at LSU? Is he the next Joe Burrow? Hey, Joe Burrow's, uh, you know, he's a legend for a reason. There's, there's only one of those guys. So Garrett Nussmeyer, can't wait to see what he can do on the field, but let's pump the brakes a little bit on all that. And hell, I should have probably done the same with our guy, Eric Gilbert, who he did look, he flashed. He was, he was a solid player for LSU last season, but didn't quite live up to the hype. And we all know since that time has been all over the map. But uh, Coach O even talked about Gilbert. Had him back on campus, I think it was about a week or two ago, and how things are going there. And I mean, if, if Gilbert's anywhere, he's going to be, at I guess I should say, at the SEC level, it's going to be LSU. It's got to be. Let's kick it over to Coach O, who seems like he's pretty open to potentially having him back. Yeah, you know, uh, Eric did come. Uh, we had a very uh, good meeting. You know, uh, there's been no decisions been made. He he was happy. Uh, was, everybody was happy to see him. Uh, we checked with compliance to make sure that everything that was doing was on the up and up. When he come meet him, he he could come talk to us. Uh, he left. He hasn't made a decision yet. hasn't told us anything yet. I think it's still up in the air, but it was very it was a very positive day when he came. All right, so there you have it. You know, and I know some LSU fans ready to write this guy off already, given um, all the drama and all the off-the-field stuff, but you just don't make many like Eric Gilbert. And if he can get everything straight on and off the field, talking about a premier playmaker and, you know, how many times have, uh, you know, young guys make mistakes. And hopefully he's learned from them, and hopefully he becomes, you know, he realizes all that potential he's got. And who knows? It may just be at LSU. And well, speaking of potential, let's jump it on down to Georgia. Well, JT Daniels spoke with the media. Remember, this guy was uh, basically under wraps first month and a half, two months of the season. Now they got him front and center. He's already starting quarter. Well, he's already anointed, you know, starting quarterback. And it's just the battle now at Georgia at the quarterback positions for number two. There's no debate anymore which it shouldn't be based on what we saw from JT Dance. Who knows how the season would have went if he was healthy and he could play and he got into the action a lot sooner than he did last year. But now it's about the massive potential that Georgia has. JT Daniels could be the best quarterback they've had there in a long, long time. And, you know, it's being a quarterback, you keep hearing all these coaches talk about uh, the position, and it's more about – Yes, they want the guy with the accuracy, the big arm, and all that, but it's the intangibles. That's what separates a lot of these quarterbacks, the good from the great. Based on this just little interaction from JT Daniels, I think you get a sense that uh, you know the team really believes in him, and he's really developed into one of the team leaders down there. And, and that's what you need if you're going to win a championship at the college football level. You just can't you can't win it in spite of your quarterback. You got to win it because of him, and it certainly sounds like J.T. Daniels is quickly becoming, you know, the heart of this Georgia offense. Yeah, J.T. Obviously, you guys got a lot of talent out there at the wide receiver position. But uh, did any part of you, uh, you know, losing George? I, I, the 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 word was y'all really building some great chemistry, and obviously he's a 
he's a different kind of cat. Uh, just what was your reaction to that? And then what are you seeing from the, from all those different guys that are being asked to step up in his, in his stead? Yeah, well, the first thing I think he's got to be there for George, the person uh, more than George, the player. Um, and as, as a person who's torn his ACL uh, and had a, you know, catastrophic knee injury, uh, first thing I did was just check in on him, make sure he's okay. And uh, I think the biggest thing for him is that uh, I keep, uh, I think his two biggest strengths are his confidence and his, uh, his love of football. So I, th I think it's going to be big for him to, and big on me to, you know, make sure he keeps those two things uh, central to him. In terms of other receivers, uh, obviously, yeah, we have a, we have a, we have a loaded receiver room. Um, and, and it's great to see some of the young guys, J-Rob, uh, Jermaine before, you know, just a little knee thing. Uh, D-Rob's been stepping up. Kiaris is always Kiaris. Uh, you know, you, you have a great receiver room, and as much as you hate to lose George, and you do, and there, there's no understating that, um, you know, you got a lot of guys that are going to work their butt off and, you know, try and develop and produce, you know, in any way they can. So good stuff from JT. It's, you know, I didn't think about it until he said it, but, hell, he's been right where George Pickens is now, and he's bounced back. So what better way to – influence uh, his teammate then kind of share his experience and point to the recovery he's been able to make but of course the biggest comments he had he dropped a bomb here they're trying to win the natty he's admitted it we've got the team to do it let's kick it over to george's quarterback jt how, how much did uh, trying to win a national championship kind of drive you to uh, i don't know how much you were seriously looking at, at you know the next level uh, after last season but and and then you know, to piggyback on, on the Pickens thing, how, how how much difficult is it to win a national title if that guy's not on the field catching passes? Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's no denying that I do want to win a natty. Uh, and I, I think we have the team to do it. Obviously, losing George doesn't help you. Um, you know, losing the elite, elite uh, top-tier receiver doesn't help you. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great team. Uh, I think we've done – and Coach Smart's done a really good job of instilling – uh, a team standard and team DNA that a lot of the guys have really taken accustomed to. Uh, there, there's a lot of good things going for the team. And, um, you know, as, as much as you hate to lose George, uh, there, there's just things we got to focus on, things we got to develop because we, we have a team, uh, you know, to do whatever we want. Yeah, JT, with the uh, momentum that the offensive uh, side of the ball was gaining in the last few uh, games last season, why is it you think that some really talented players on that side of the ball chose to come back for this this season particularly? Um, I do think there's, there, there's a lot of guys that, you know, really knew what we have and the potential that we have. And uh, one, love to win, two, love to compete, and uh, want to put themselves in as good a light as possible before they, uh, you know, before they finish their career in college and uh, head to the next level. All right, so since I'm driving this damn Georgia hype train, you know I, gotta, I love these comments, but uh, had to play them. This is, the, again – in addition to the intangibles, you got to have the confidence. A lot of quarterbacks out there have all the talent in the world, but they lack that confidence. And whew, you can't get it done in the SEC unless you got that confidence. JT Daniels wouldn't have showed up. Remember, they when he signed on, they had Jamie Newman. And this was pro football focus, number one quarterback in the country. <laughs> I remember, I know Jamie Newman's a bad word there in Athens, but hell, he wasn't afraid of the competition. He wasn't afraid to compete. He knew that eventually he was going to get on this field and show the Bulldogs what he's got. Now that he's done it, he's getting all this hype. So now it's now or never for JT Daniels in Georgia. And I, I just love these comments considering I'm driving this damn hype train.
Let's kick it on down to Columbia. You know, I don't think we've ever played clips here from uh, receiver coach Justin Stepp, but I really love these. Had to play him. You know, he kind of, you know, it's, it's a different story than Shane Beamer, but kind of the same foundation. You know, something that I talked with uh, Josh Pate on this show this week where, you know, you gotta, you basically got your Coach O signed on in Shane Beamer. Guy loves the school. This is a dream job. He's going to do everything he can to make South Carolina better. And it's more than just lip service when you hear from a guy like Justin Stepp, who's just thankful to be on the Gamecock coaching staff, a guy that basically up until the moment he accepted the job, I don't think he had any plans to leave Sam Pittman's Arkansas staff. I mean, they, they're loaded at receiver this year. It would have made all the sense in the world for him to stay at Arkansas, but the opportunity was uh, just too much to pass up. Uh, I thought these were fantastic comments that I thought all South Carolina fans would appreciate. You know, Justin, growing up around here and then going through your coaching journey, nothing about the other places that you've been, but how badly did you want to get back here someday? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, always in the back of your mind, you, you know, you always think, man, how cool would it be to to actually be back home? Um you know, I guess just from being in the business since uh, 2008, you know, you just don't ever see a lot of a lot of guys get to do this, you know, where they grew up. Um, and that was obviously one of the things that was really um, important to me was uh, being back close to my family um, and being a part of this program that I grew up watching uh, as a kid, um, you know, going to all the games. And, you know, I still run around that stadium every day at lunch and just think to myself, I mean, I passed the student gate and think, man, I was – getting in that student game when I was in 10th grade, just trying to find a way to watch the Gamecocks. And uh, to, to be here is a dream come true, like I said earlier. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a unique opportunity. You know, that was one of the things when I was talking to mentors about about this job and, and kind of where I was in the decision. And I said, you know, you could do this for the next 20, 30 years, and you'll, you may never have a chance to be four or five hours within family, much less, you know, 20, 30 minutes. So um, I'm just extremely happy. Every day is a um, – Every day is a dream come true for me, man. I am extremely grateful for this opportunity to be here. Uh, continuing with the dream job theme, what was it like for you uh, the night before you were going to step on the field for that first practice? And then when you did step on the field, and do you find yourself uh, even now, maybe in the middle of practice going, man, look at me. I made it. I'm here. Yeah. Um, gosh, Ray, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I didn't sleep. One, because I was paranoid I was going to oversleep. I'm still getting used to this practicing in the morning deal and having to be here so early. Um, but then it was just the just the feeling of, I mean, I would walk by the practice fields when I was growing up, and, you know, they had the black tarp around the fences where you couldn't see anything. And, I mean, just 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 like I said, just 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 dreaming one day of man, I wish I could be out there practicing, and I would have never in a million years dreamed that I'd I'd be coaching here. So, um, you know, the interesting thing is, my a kid I taught in first grade. His dad was actually the principal at at Fort Bowl High School that got me the job. D. Christopher, his son is my manager. I taught him in first grade. So the first day I got out there and he was standing there by my individual, I was like, my goodness. I looked at him the other day and I said, man, we have come a long way from Orchard Park Elementary. You know, I just remember pulling up to work every day trying to figure out how I was going to survive first first period first uh, first grade PE. So, um, like I said, every I'm, I'm telling you, Rick, every day I get out of my truck, I look at I can see the stadium and walking up the steps. Usually by the time we get in here, the sun's not set, uh, the sun's not rose. But by the time we're getting out for meetings, you can see the sun rising right over the stadium. And man, there's just there's just 
there's not a luckier guy in the country than, than Justin Stepp. All right, and if that's not enough for you, aside from the passion, aside from his heart being in South Carolina, you know, it's going to take more than that, obviously, to, to win in the SEC. Been plenty of passionate guys that uh, couldn't get it done. But, man, he's hyping up this uh, Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator. Keep hearing comparisons to Joe Brady and NFL offense. And now they got to have the receivers to run. they got to have the quarterback. Don't know if they have either right now. They've got the offensive line and the running backs. But whew, he's getting me hyped up to see this thing in action. Let's kick it over once again to Justin Stepp, the receivers coach, talking up this Marcus Satterfield and calls him a mad scientist out here in Columbia. Justin, not asking you to reveal state secrets, but through five practices, just what are your impressions of Marcus Satterfield's offense and how do you feel like the guys are grasping it right now? Man, I love it. It is, as a receiver, I mean, it is a, man, the, just the freedom that you have within the offense with a lot of option routes and, there's so many compliments off of every play. Um, we have a lot of offense in. Um, there, is, there is a lot. I mean, it is, it is amazing how well our guys have picked up on it. Um, the first thing I can tell you is that I, I don't think I've ever been around as smart of, smart of football coaches as Marcus Satterfield. I mean, he's like a, a mad scientist. Um, he's got a good way about him with the kids. Um, He's, he's, he brings the energy every day. I mean, we walk in this morning and you could hear his music playing out of his office before you ever got up the stairs. Um, so he's a high energy guy, uh, very, very sharp. Um, he sees things that, and we watch, as we watch film together, he sees things that you're like, golly, I would have never, I'd have never caught that. So, um, I'm excited to work with him. We, I love our office of staff. I love our offense. If you're a receiver, I mean, it's a lot of the same things that, you know, LSU was doing with, with, with Joe Brady there with the, the bunch sets, the close sets, the choice routes and stuff like that. Um, it's a, it's a fun offense to play in, man. It's an NFL, NFL ready offense. I mean, the transition from playing in this offense to playing at the next level is, and you it, playing in it is gonna it's gonna help you a lot. I mean, it's um it's a really cool really cool system to be in. All right, if you're a South Carolina fan, I don't know how you're not fired up after listening to those comments. So I had to play those for you. And once again, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to uh, say they don't have the receivers, but you know they get a guy back like Ortray Smith who opted out last season. Step said, uh, "Help Ortray's watching film with the staff." You know, aside from the film he, he watches with his teammates, he calls Dakarian Joyner, you know, the leader of that room. He's really stepped up. So, I mean, they've got some talented pieces out there. We've just not seen previous staffs get the most out of these guys. So, uh, it could be interesting. It could be one of the most improved position groups in the SEC. Justin Stepp's a hell of a receivers coach. And I got a lot of confidence in, if it's not this year, it's going to be in the years to come because he's a hell of a recruiter, too. He might be even a better recruiter than he is coach, and that's saying something because he's a hell of a coach. So South Carolina, receiver's been a weakness the last couple years. It's about to turn into a strength. All right, last stop here around the league. Speaking of Arkansas, let's kick it down damn to Fayetteville. Whoopee! Where one of my favorite players in the SEC, Jalen Catalan, recently spoke. This kid is going to be All-American by the end of the season. He's that good. If you haven't watched him play, reminds me a lot of Eric Berry. He's just... So impactful for the Razorbacks. He'll lay the wood on you. He'll pick a pass off. He's got big playability all over the field. He's been thrown out of more games for <laughs> non-targeting that I've ever seen anyone play. That's how hard he hits you. He hits you so hard legally, they think it's a damn targeting. I've seen that a couple times. But 
He's hyping up this defensive backfield. And remember, at this, you know, that was a, I don't want to call it a weakness because he was so damn good. And we had guys like Hudson Clark emerge who, remember, he was a walk-on. But normally when you got walk-ons back there playing in the secondary, that's a huge, huge problem. Somehow that coaching staff and these players turned it into a strength. But they weren't very deep at the position. That looks to be changing. Jalen Catalong. And then last thing here, I just thought this was uh, interesting. Shane's always wanting to know about Hudson Henry. Hudson Henry. He's always talking about Hudson Henry. The former five-star tight end really starting to come on here. This is, uh, you know, of all the targets Arkansas has, this is kind of what they're missing, I think. Game-breaking tight end. Could that be Hudson Henry this year? Could really open things up on Kendall Brown's offense. So let's kick it over to Jalen Catalong. Feel this secondary will be a lot deeper even than last year. A whole lot deeper, I think, and a lot more effective this year because everybody knows what they're doing, you know. And the young guys are starting to pick up on a defense um, on a, a quick, a quicker basis, and they're starting to learn from us. You know, we're trying to set the standard and for our back end, and uh, I think they're starting to pick that up, and you're starting to see us progress as a whole. But I think we're deeper than we were last year, and it's showing in spring so far. Y'all uh, have at times, I guess, had six defensive backs out there. Talk about the versatility of the group and, and how y'all can move around as needed. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, we just know everybody knows what they're doing, so uh, we're able to move around. You know, one day you can play say, uh, middle safety if we're in our uh, six DB uh, package. Before you know it, you might have to play nickel or uh, boundary safety, but everybody knows what to do, so it's, it's very versatile for us to move around, and it's easier for the coaches to – feel comfortable to call certain coverages just because we all know what to do and we all uh, feel comfortable playing with each other. And like I said, a younger guy is starting to pick that up too and it's making the coach's job easier as far as who he can put in and uh, who's going to step up. So um, back in for sure is making a lot of progress and I'm, it's, it's uh, amazing to see. You preface this by saying I saw the hit you had on Raheem Sanders. It was a good leg. But also saw, you know, football, you give a little take a little. Hudson had a pretty good shot on you on a, I think maybe a 30-yard catch. You've probably gone up against him a good bit. What what have you seen from him from an improvement standpoint? He talks about being more physical, and and that's some of the stuff they're trying to do in tight end. What have you seen from Hudson? Yeah, uh, he's definitely got a lot more physical. Um, you can tell that he's starting to gain a little more confidence and starting to realize his potential and what he has to offer uh, for the offense and get to the offense. But um, yeah, he had a really he's having a really good spring so far. Uh, you. He's having less MAs. You can tell that he's flowing fast. He's moving fast. Um, he can tell he knows what's going, what's going on. And, um, yeah, he's definitely gotten stronger. I, I learned that the hard way. But, yeah, no, he definitely got a little bit stronger. But, you know, no, nah, like I said, like he's a really good tight end. And I'm, I mean, he makes me better each and every day. You know, we always say iron sharpens iron. And that's a perfect example of me going against him every day. All right, so the Arkansas hype train's continuing. Jalen Catalan here is hyping us up, hyping me up. I don't know about you guys, man. <laughs> I'm just ready for some of the spring games action. We're gonna remember in a week's time we're gonna be gearing up for about six, seven spring games here. Let me look at my schedule. Yeah, next Saturday, April 17th, we got Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, Arkansas. Woo! A week out from all those, and then the following weekend, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Ole Miss. So. Hey, we've only probably got about two more weeks, man, of all these shows with all this content. We're, of course, we're going to keep this thing going during the offseason, but you know, it may slow down when we don't have as much to talk about. So savor this time, boys and girls. Podcasts, working hard to deliver you guys 
so many podcasts throughout the week. Hope you guys appreciate it. And if you do, you made it this far, don't forget, leave us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcasts app. We really do appreciate each and every one of those. That helps the show grow tremendously. And we send you a beer koozie free of charge just for sending those, sending those on over, those written reviews to that sec podcast at gmail.com and that's going to do it for this week's shows going to have some more stuff coming up next week of course thanks for tuning in catch you on the next one